I'm doing something a little bit different this week, so um, I'm I'm as confused as you. Sometimes I I got up here a moment too early just now. Um, I'm, one of the things I'm doing differently is I've got too many passages of scripture. Um, if you uh, if you happen to bump into Dr. Kristen Saldine, please don't tell her about today's service because uh, she was my preacher. Uh, she was my uh, preaching professor in seminary, and uh, I can picture what she would say if she saw the yellow insert. In the bulletin, she'd say, he really tried to preach on 14 passages of Scripture in 20 minutes. And if she would say that, I would respond, who said anything about 20 minutes? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I am going to do something a little bit different today. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> well, it was, at least it was only one of you. So, um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, I am going to do something a little bit differently, um, and the reason for the, the, the number of scripture passages is because I wanted uh, today in particular to have a, a broad swath of, of scripture, so you can see that what we're talking about today is not just not just one little bit of, of what the Bible teaches, but actually represents what the Christian faith has understood the, the totality of the Bible to be saying. So I wanted to do that with a number of scriptures today. So we're going to be doing that. And the reason is I'm picking, I'm going to, I'm going to kick off today a new series of talks. And I'm calling it Declarations. And the idea is, what are the things that our faith declares? Most weeks we look at something that's very, very detailed, something that's very focused. And what I wanted to do today and for the next couple of weeks is to step back and kind of get the, the big picture view, the 30,000 foot view about just a handful of some of the big, big picture, big, big ideas of the faith. And, and the reason for that is that there's actually two reasons. One of them is that, um, I am always looking to be a better preacher. I'm always looking for ways I can do that. And my feeling about that is if, if I'm not, uh, belly flopping from time to time, if I don't periodically fall on my face, it means I'm not pushing myself very hard. So um, if nothing else, you may get the opportunity sometime during this uh, next couple of weeks to see me, me just make a spectacular mess. So um, there's always that. But there's a deeper uh, uh, reason that I hope is more, more um, important. I'm sure it's more important, and I hope it's more obvious. I have a sense that there are people um, who would like to discuss the big ideas, the what is the, the Christian faith really all about? Not, not how do I use it, what does it do in my life in this particular area, but what's the big picture? I've had some people ask me that, and I was thinking about it today, because um, today is, is uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's Back to Church Sunday, and I, I, it makes me aware that there are people, maybe some of you are here today, um, there are people who look at the church and, and say, uh, what I was doing earlier this week as I was hearing about the, the protests in, in uh, other countries and other religions, I was saying, what's with those people? What makes them behave that way? And it, it occurred to me that there's probably people who feel the same way about the Christian church. And so what I wanted to do, I, I can't speak for Islam and I can't speak for different cultures and different uh, countries, but I can uh, begin a conversation about what it is that our faith says. What, what does the Christian faith teach? And so my hope is that as we begin this series of talks, uh, they will answer questions that relate to the question, uh, the, the big question we have, which is, is religion useful? Is, is the, the, the Christian faith going to make a difference in my life at all? 
Does it help me make sense of it right here and right now? And so I'm going to be beginning today with truth. Uh, next week we're going to look at grace and the following week with the kingdom of God. And these are all too big to cover in a week, but I want to have this kind of high-level survey before we do anything else. The reason I want to start with truth is because Christians make claims about the truth. We say we know things about people and about the universe and where we came from and where we're going. And in particular, I want to talk about God because we make claims about truth. And it's important that that if if what we claim to know is going to make any difference in our lives, then it has to be uh, not just something we believe in our heads, but it has to correspond to reality. There has to be something outside of us that it that it corresponds with. So it has to not just be a good idea, but it has to be true. It has to relate to reality. So that's what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, God and what we can say about God, uh, in particular, the things we can say about God and how we would know they're true. Is there anything we can we can say where we can say um, that idea in my head about God corresponds to reality? It is a true statement. And our faith says, yes, there's all kinds of ideas we can have about God that are true. So um, the first thing um, to, to, to know is that we believe that there is a God. We're like every other religion. Uh, we believe there's at least one God. Some of them believe in more than one God. We believe in one. And so uh, the first thing, if you're underlining, if you're a, if you're a writer kind of person, um, again, this is an experiment, uh, there's a little blank there. You can fill in the blank, and it says God really exists. We believe, like so many religions, we believe that there is a God, and we can we can say things about God that are true. We can say things about God that correspond to reality. So why do we say that? What makes us say that? Where is this God that we talk about? I can't see him. Do we have any evidence of God's existence? If we're going to claim God exists, do we have any evidence for it? Well, we would say yes. The psalmist, uh, uh, thousands of years ago, he said this. And this should be the first scripture. All right, Edmund. All right. Uh, Edmund's going to have a tough day. Um, so uh, so um, uh, the psalmist said this. He said, the heavens are proclaiming the glory of God. The firmament, the sky, proclaims his handiwork. Now, notice what it says there. It doesn't say that the heavens are God. Uh, our faith does not tell us that we should we should look at the sun and the moon and the stars and worship them. What it says instead is that they are evidence of God, that when we see things that, that amaze us, um, that, that make us wonder, that those are evidence for God. Uh, the idea here is, is not that we see God, but we infer God. Um, if it had blown, uh, the wind had blown last night, we wouldn't have been able to see it, but we would have been able to see evidence of it. We would have been able to see the trees uh, rocking back and forth and maybe falling down. Um, we would have seen evidence for something that was invisible. The psalmist tells us that God is the same way. We can't see God, but we can see evidence in creation that there is a God. And the psalmist particularly points at the sky. And I think many of us have had this experience. We've looked up in the sky, we've seen a rainbow, or we've seen a sunrise or a sunset. We've seen um, the night sky in particular. We've seen the aurora, we've seen um, stars, and we've said, that's really amazing. There's something beautiful there. It puts us in, in a sense of awe or, or mystery or wonder. And the psalmist is saying, that is evidence of God. There was a man named Paul who wrote a letter to a church in Rome. 
It's called Romans. All right, okay, some of you got that. All right, some of you. All right. So he said this. He said, for what can be known about God is plain to them, plain to people, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. What Paul is getting at here is that is that when we look up in the sky, when we see the imprint of God in nature, it's not an accident. It's not just fingerprints that that God uh, left behind by accident, like a burglar at a crime scene. That this is something God put there because God wants us to see it. That the evidence that God leaves in nature is a deliberate uh, effort by God to communicate with us. And in the book of Acts, it says this. It says, Yet he, God, has not left himself without a witness in doing good. God hasn't just gone away and, and, um, uh, only left some, some traces there. But instead, God does good, giving you rains and, rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling you with food and your hearts with joy. The idea here is, is an even, an even stronger idea that God didn't simply leave some evidence around whether by accident or deliberately, but God goes on leaving evidence that when there is good things, when there are good things happening in our lives, that is God's work, that God is continuing to do things, and we can see the work of God uh, in our lives. So that answers the first question, does God exist? And if so, what is the evidence we have of God? But it doesn't answer the the deeper question behind that one, which is, well, why is God hidden in the first place? Why can't we see God? And the truth is, sometimes when we look around, there's not a lot of evidence except maybe in the sky. And and the problem is, ultimately, do we really care how pretty the sky is? See, we don't live there. We live down here on planet Earth, and planet Earth can be pretty ugly. We can look around and we can see uh, anything but God. We look around, we see war, we see injustice and poverty, we see cruelty and hatred, we see ugliness. And we want to know, well, if God can make everything so pretty up there, how come it's so ugly down here? There was a man named Job who wondered that same thing. His life had fallen apart. All kinds of disasters had happened to Job. And he wanted to find God because he wanted to ask him that question. So he said this, he said, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. If only I could find this guy, that I could come to his dwelling, that I could go knock on his door and ask him questions. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments, and I would learn what he would answer me, and I would understand what he would say to me. I don't know. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever asked yourself, where is God? Not just out of a kind of a vague academic, you know, where is he then? But I have a bone I need to pick with him. I want to understand why has this happened in my life? Why is it when I look around, I see problems? I don't see God. I only see problems. And what the scriptures tell us is that if we have ever felt that way, if we've ever wondered, where is God? Why isn't he here? Why is he just up there? The scriptures tell us that we're not wrong. The world is a mess. When we look around and we say it's ugly down here and we wish it was better, we're right. That that's, that's, that's a true statement. It tells us the world 
was meant to be as pretty as the night sky. But it's not. It's ugly. And so we see war and poverty and crime and all the other problems that that they tell us something has gone wrong. And instead of being beautiful like the night sky, it's ugly like so much of the world. And what the scripture says is that the bad things that we see, the injustice and the, the violence, that these things are like a thick cloud. They're like they're like a fog or a mist that we're stuck in, that we're lost in this fog or this mist. And it conceals God from us. Isaiah put it this way. He said, Your iniquities have been barriers between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We wait for light, and lo, there's darkness. And for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope like the blind along a wall, groping like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in twilight, among the vigorous as though we were dead. When we look around, we don't see God except maybe a few traces here and there. Instead of being in God's light, instead of perceiving God clearly, we are groping in the dark. And the truth is, if we're really honest, sometimes we're okay with that. Sometimes we're fine with being in the dark. The Apostle John wrote about a conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And he put it this way. People loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. Now, I'm not saying that everything we do is always evil. What I am saying is that from time to time, sometimes, We do things we're not proud of. Sometimes we do things and we're perfectly okay with the fact no one saw that. Sometimes it's because what we've done is just flat out wrong. right? We know and we can't even defend it. Or maybe we make a try, but we're glad we don't have to defend it because it's, it's very weak. But more often, more often, what happens is we simply go along with the evil that is all around us. We find it easier to simply... A coexist with evil than it is to fight evil. That we, we do something that is low, not, not particularly evil, but we just don't meet our own goals. We don't, we don't meet our own aspirations. We're okay with evil. And so we are lost in a cloud. We exist in this cloud of moral evil and, and equivalence that keeps us from seeing God. It's not that we have done it all ourselves, but we are at peace. We've made some kind of peace with life in a world filled with evil. And because of that, we are cut off from God. And the word the Bible uses when you are cut off from God is sin. Anything that cuts you off from God, anything that conceals God from you is sin. So if you're filling in the blank, the second blank is sin is whatever conceals God from us. The evil in the world and sometimes the evil in us. But 
God doesn't leave us there. This is the same God who deliberately left traces in nature so that everyone could see them. God wants us to know about him. So he can cut through the fog. He, the, the fog is not beyond his capacity to penetrate. The problem is when God does, it is terrifying. When God spoke at Mount Sinai to deliver the Ten Commandments to the people of God, he said, uh, we read this, uh, God put on this great light show. And when all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and they trembled and they stood at a distance and they said to Moses, you speak to us. We'll listen to you. You go listen to God and then you come and speak to us and we'll listen to you. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. The idea here is that God can penetrate the darkness, but when he does, it is terrifying. It would be like if you went into a cavern and there's a species of bats there that only comes out at night and you've you've shown your 500-watt halogen flashlight at them or something, they'd be terrified. And that's what the scriptures say it is like. That's what they record it being like when God does penetrate that veil. So God elects to use people like Moses, to use go-betweens. And the word for a go-between is a prophet. God spoke by prophets. If you fill in the blank, God speaks and has spoken through prophets. But prophets don't solve the problem either, do they? There's still a problem. It is not that the prophets don't say enough. Uh, the, The prophet Amos, he said, Surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The problem isn't that God didn't say enough. And the good thing about a prophet is they can tell you so much more than the night sky. They can give you all kinds of details that looking up at the stars, you can be impressed, you can feel wonder and awe, but you really can't get any detailed information from them. But a prophet can give you all kinds of information. That's not the problem. The problem is still with us. The problem is that if I'm not terrified then I can choose not to pay any attention. The prophet Ezekiel said this. He records how God gave him a a calling and a, a message to give to the people of God. And he then said this. God said to Ezekiel, he said, I'm sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, all the things I told you. Tell them that. But whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. They shall know that there's been a prophet among them. Ultimately, God knows people sometimes don't listen to prophets. So, what happens then? Does God throw up his hands? I mean, that's what most of us would do at this point. God, God would say, these people are hopeless. They are, they're stuck in, in a cloud of sin and they will not listen to the prophets. That's what most of us would say. I give up. I throw up my hands. But God did not. What God did is he came to us himself. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews said this, Long ago God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He, the son, is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. The scriptures tell us that Jesus, God the only Son, 
tells us what we need to know about God. The Apostle John put it this way, No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to God, to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. Not just, not just the words that Jesus uses to communicate with us, but Jesus' very being. The writer to the Colossians, he said this, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So if you're filling in the blanks, Jesus reveals the real God. Now this is, this is so key. This is what you have to get if you're going to understand what Christians believe about God and Jesus and Revelation. Everything we need to know about God, we find in Jesus. What we need to know is not what somebody told us or what the preacher told us or what we think we remember the preacher said the last time we were in church. What we need to know about God is not what we feel or what our conscience tells us. Everything we need to know about God, we find in Jesus. And not just his words. So listen to Jesus, but also watch Jesus. Listen to what he says, but watch who he says it to. Who does Jesus hang out with? Who does he argue with? What kind of problems do people bring to Jesus? And what does he do about them? And the only way to do those things is to read the Bible. Not because it's the good book or because it's historically accurate or because it's filled with wisdom or or uh, good advice. We don't read the Bible for any of those reasons. We read the Bible because it is the authoritative witness to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter said this, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. The Bible was written by eyewitnesses, people who saw Jesus and recorded for us, as John says, the things that they wrote. These are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. We read the Bible because the Bible testifies to Jesus. The final blank there. The Bible testifies to Jesus. We read the Bible because God wants us to know him. And not just the kind of things we can learn about God by staring up at the stars. God wants us to know God. And to know God, we have to know his son, Jesus. So, what's the application? Well, I'll tell you, this week and next week, the application is very easy. It's mainly about what you what you know and what you believe. It's very simple. But if you're looking for an application, if you just can't can't say, what do I do with that? How do I walk out of here without something to do? Let me tell you, read the Bible. Get to know Jesus. Get to know him a little better. Read one of the biographies. There's four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. Uh, you can find them in the table of contents. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, I am personally partial to Luke. I recommend it. And it's not just because... <laughs> It's not just because I'm named Luke, but that's a good memory aid. What was the one he said? It's the one he's named after. Uh, read, read the Gospel of Luke. If you're not sure where to start, read the Gospel of Luke. It's a great story. It is, it is um, 24 chapters, about four verses apiece. I, I looked at two Bibles last night. One of them was 36 pages. 
Another one is 56 pages. You can read that in an hour. You can read the Gospel of Luke in an hour. Easy. But don't even do that. Don't even do that. We're going to be in this series for the next five weeks. So that's 35 days. So if you read one chapter a day, just one chapter, page, page and a half tops, okay, then you will be done. You will have read one of the, one of the scriptures about Jesus. You would have seen what God wants you to know about himself because you would have seen it in the life and works of Jesus Christ. Will you understand everything you read? Probably not. I don't. But that's okay. You'll understand something more than you do now. So read one of the, one of the biographies of Jesus. Read Luke. Read Mark. Matthew. John. Read something about Jesus. God wants to be known. God sympathizes with us. He wishes we could see through this cloud of sin. But we won't listen to prophets. So God came here and revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me invite you now to stand and join in singing our uh, second hymn, number 361, and it will be on the slides, How Firm a Foundation.